This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. Thanks so much for being here. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm the author of two books, The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl, which is all about confidence. And I'm welcoming you here today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. And you're in the right place if you wanna become your calmest and most confident self. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Megan Rossi, who is a dietitian with a PhD, and she's the author of the brilliant new book, The Sunday Times bestselling, Eat Yourself Healthy. And she is basically a friend of mine and also the authority on gut health. She is the person that everyone is looking to now as the authority on how to keep your gut healthy, why that's so important, the real science behind it. And I love her work because she takes a, a topic that could be quite confusing and kind of sciencey and not very accessible and actually she makes it so easy to understand so accessible so user-friendly and I absolutely love her work so we talk about how the gut impacts our mental health and yes it does have an impact we talk about the best thing that you can do in your diet to feed your healthy bacteria she discusses the supplements and the diet advice for when you're struggling with anxiety. We also get into the topic of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and she has advice to share on that and loads more. I hope you're gonna enjoy this episode. I wanna remind you that if you wanna hear from me about latest podcasts and events that I'm doing, and also receive a free anxiety toolkit with a hypnosis session, affirmations, MP3 and worksheets, then you can head over to my website, karmau.com forward slash free. Pop your details in there and I'll send those details right over. So let's get into the interview with Megan Rossi. This episode is sponsored by Chloris CBD oil. Everyone in the anxiety world is talking about CBD oil, but if you don't know what it is, CBD is a non-psychoactive compound found in cannabis and it's used as a food supplement with promising evidence that it actually helps to calm anxiety. One study found that it reduced anxiety during public speaking, and the link to this is in the show notes, and it's also believed that CBD oil could help manage pain, such as period pain by reducing inflammation. I've been taking Chloris CBD for the past few months to help with period pain and PMS and I think it really helps. 
I love that Chloris take great care to source the best quality CBD, only using the finest organically derived natural ingredients and they rigorously test their products for contaminants. And most CBD brands don't do this. CBD isn't a miracle cure for anxiety, but it could be really useful as a food supplement to include in your routine and I love using it. Get 10% off Chloris CBD oil when you enter the code KARMAYOU at chloriscbd.com. That's K-L-O-R-I-S-C-B-D.com. Welcome. Thank Thanks. you so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I just want to say how much I loved your book. It is so, so good, so helpful. It could have easily been a book that was quite complicated and kind of almost overwhelmingly sciencey, but you've just made it so simple and practical. And I love a flow diagram, which you have in there. <laughs> I had to fight for them. I really, yeah, I'm passionate about a good, solid flow diagram decision tree. <laughs> yes, I think people are going to find that so, so helpful. Um, can you tell us, for people that maybe don't know, what it is that you do and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I am a dietitian and nutritionist. So I have a clinic on Harley Street, the Gut Health Clinic. Um, so I see people with you know, gut conditions, but also people who have now started to see that actually you can improve um, things like your mental health and your heart health by targeting the gut. So a wide range of different people. But I also spend most of my time actually working as a research fellow at King's. So looking at a range of different nutrition-based therapies and how they actually impact our gut health and therefore impact things like our mood, any gut symptoms, um, and our overall, I guess, health and happiness. You know, if I was to rewind back, um, my first, I guess, conscious encounter with the gut wasn't an overly positive one. In fact, it was rather negative. And that my grandma, who had a huge part of my upbringing, actually passed away of bowel cancer. And that was in my final year of nutrition and dietetics. And I, I still, to this day, you know, remember so clearly hating the gut for doing that to her, putting her through the chemo, the surgery, and, and then later losing her. Um, and then after I graduated from nutrition and dietetics, I think I somewhat suppressed those emotions. Um, obviously, you know, that's not a good thing to do, but that's what I did. Yeah. Um, and I started working as a clinical dietitian. And what I noticed is that a lot of my patients who um, had diseases in other parts of their body, like their kidneys, were actually complaining of gut issues. And I thought, what is it about the gut? It just it didn't really make much sense. Like my grandma, yes, had disease in her gut, so she was having the symptoms, but why were these other people who had disease in other parts of their body actually complaining of gut issues? Um, so it was 2010, so not a lot of research was coming out around the fact that we have these bacteria which can do things to the rest of our body. So I you know, thought I owed it to my grandma and you know, to my patients to really investigate it. So I signed up to a PhD, um, when I was 21, so I signed away in my wow. early 20s and really tried to understand whether if we target the gut with the right nutrition, whether we can improve the health of other organs. And it was a successful trial, so fast forward the, the clinical trial three years, um, we found that, yeah, actually things like our gut and our kidneys were actually linked. Um, I found that really quite mind-blowing, but I guess I thought, you know, maybe it's just kind of with people who have disease in the sixth state. But I was very fortunate to also be the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronized swimming team during my PhD and found out that the girls that had the most performance anxiety also had the most number of gut issues. Highlighting That's it wasn't amazing. just that, yeah, wow. that um, kind of gut kidney axis, gut heart axis, but also this gut brain axis. 
And it was at that point I was like, you know what, if I really want to have an impact, improve people's lives, um, it would be by targeting the gut because it's an organ with so much power and potential. And unlike things like our genetics, we can actually, you know, impact the gut microbes living within us by the way we treat our bodies, essentially. Um, so I moved over to King's about four and a half years ago. So I applied for a job and was lucky enough to get one. And yeah, that's where I am today. Amazing. And it's amazing that you not only see, you know, people, you know, patients, but you're also doing the research and you're also educating people, writing, you know, your book, um, so many different things and such a solid grounding in natural science, which is quite rare in, uh, yeah, for some people talking about these topics. It's very good to see. Yeah, look, I, I actually never thought I would get into public engagement, social media, etc. It was it just wasn't really something that I thought, you know, I would do. Um, but about a year into my post at King's, I just started to get really frustrated that, you know, not just our group, so many groups around the world were doing amazing research, yet the general public had no idea what was going on. And often it was the fad trends being fed to people. And, you know, in my clinic, I was seeing people cut out so many foods because they thought they were trying to heal their gut. But actually, that was you know, bad for their gut. So they were, they were being given the wrong information. And I guess I saw the organ that I knew had so much power and potential being misrepresented. It's like, I, you know, I need to do something. I need to support the, the underdog. Um, so I was like, you know what, how do people do, you know, give themselves a voice in, in the media? Um, so that was social media for me. And yeah, so many people have supported me and just grown from there. So I've been very fortunate that I think a lot of key influencers have actually really taken on board the, the evidence and the scientific message and not gone down the kind of fatty route. So, yeah. So good. Do you think, well, obviously, it seems like people are talking about the gut more and more. Is that just because people are having more problems? Do you think the problems that people are having have increased over the last few years? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. So historically, I think a lot of people were still having symptoms and having issues, but they just were too embarrassed to talk about it. It was one of those taboo topics. But now we've started to be more open about these sorts of things because they are so important to be open about. You know, things like colon cancer is the third biggest cancer killer in the world. And a lot of those lives could be prevented if we had an early diagnosis. Um, but people, you know, if they see that there's their stools start to, their poops start to change or um, they're having really bad symptoms. Historically, they wouldn't have gone to their doctor until it got really, really bad, but now people are going earlier. So right. there is that around um, people speaking up a little bit more, but also I think there is a level of increasing in the, the prevalence of these conditions because stress. Mm. You know, our gut and our brain, like you very much know, <laughs> are so interconnected. And if we have a lot of stress in our brain, that feeds those messages down to our gut and can create um, yeah, issues in our gut. And not just gut symptoms, um, but things like mental health. You know, we now see that a clear link between mental health and gut issues, uh, sorry, mental health and just our gut bacteria. And those people don't always have gut issues. So gut issues is just one piece of the puzzle, but it doesn't mean um, that if you don't have gut issues, you've got good gut health, essentially. There's other things going on. Okay, so if you have poor gut health, you might not have symptoms, but it could still be impacting your mental health. Your mental health, yeah, and also yeah. your immune system. Yeah. So I guess when we think about what gut health is, it's um, essentially the function of this nine meter long digestive tract. So it's the tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit. And if I was to break down like why that's important, there's three components to it. One is that um, if you don't have good gut health, then you're 
whatever you put into your body, you're actually not able to extract all that nutrition out of it. Um, so, you know, if you want to get the most out of your food, you have to have good gut health for the digestion aspect. The second aspect is that 70% of our immune system actually lays along our nine meter digestive tract. So if you are the one that always is getting sick um, and you feel like, you know, you can't heal your, if you get a wound or something, it doesn't heal very fast, then actually that might have something to do with not having good gut health, even if you don't get gut symptoms, because the 70% of the immune system lays in the gut. And then the third element, which is, I think, what's brought a lot of the fame to the concept of gut health, and that's the fact that we have those trillions of microbes, like the bacteria, which predominate, but also things like viruses, fungi, parasites. Um, the things that people freak out about actually live in the lower part of our intestine and synergistically have a, a benefit to the body. Uh, and it's kind of that that we call our gut microbiota and that's what's been linked to the health of pretty much every other organ in the, in the body. It's amazing to think that there are trillions of little They outnumber us, Chloe. It's scary stuff. <laughs> no, it, you should see a lot of people kind of freak out. Right, and if I think, you know what's in there, it's almost don't want to know. Yeah, and like it's a bit humbling to the human ego to think mm. actually we're outnumbered by these things and they may have a big impact, uh, impact on things like our mental health and things that we not quite sure about. Um, but you know, if you look after them, they want the best for us because if we're thriving, then they have this environment of thriving. So you kind of think about it as a really positive thing. Um, but of course, if you starve it, you really um, neglect your body, then they get a little bit hangry and grumpy. I love the way you talk about the the gut microbiota. Is that the right way yeah, to say it? Yeah, gut microbiota. The GM yeah. Um, yeah. as being like our friends, and actually, if we were thinking to ourselves. What am I going to eat to feed my, my gut microbes? Instead of just thinking about what we want to eat, taking care of them and they will take care of us as a result. I love that idea. Yeah, it really is like a mutually, um, mutually beneficial thing um, in that, yeah, whenever we eat food, it's about not just foods that my taste buds will enjoy, but the foods that my microbes will also enjoy. So it's kind of, you know, you don't need to be obsessive and be like, oh, I just want to feed my microbes. You still want to enjoy your food, but it's just sparing them a thought. Mm. Yeah. Spare them a thought. Okay, <laughs> good. Can you explain a little bit about what the gut-brain axis is? Yeah, so it, it is the communication that happens between our gut and our brain. So the gut and brain are constantly communicating. And I think, you know, this is a concept we've known about for centuries. If you think about the way we, the, you know, use... Um, our gut functions as metaphors of emotions, like someone gives me the poops, I can't stomach someone's behavior. You know, if you think about when you've got um, an exam or an interview, you kind of get the butterflies in your stomach. So we've known that they were connected, um, but it's more recently, I think we've appreciated there's a new player to this gut-brain axis, and that is those trillions of microbes, um, which we now consider um, them being able to, to communicate to the brain via three different pathways. Um, so one is kind of like a mobile phone in where the microbes are able to zip up messages via our vagus nerve, kind of like an electric signal up to our brain to communicate. The third one, the second one is like um, an alarm system. So again, it relates to the immune system. Remember, a lot of that lives in our gut. So if the bacteria sense something's going on, they'll trigger the immune system to pr produce things like inflammatory markers, which then again communicate with the brain. And then the third element is kind of like snail mail, like the postal system. And the bacteria can actually produce different chemicals, which can pass the, the blood-brain barrier and, again, have an effect on our brain. It's so important to remember this because there's still lots of people who think of 
mental health as being a totally separate thing to physical health. And yet they're the same because your brain is part of your body and your gut is communicating with your brain. And of course that, you know, can make an impact. Yeah. And, and it's, I think a lot of people can be quite skeptical and I get it because there's a lot of um, fads out there and trends, but there has actually been clinical trials where they've randomized people to getting a live bacteria known as a probiotic or um, a placebo intervention, like a fake intervention. And what they've done is they've actually scanned people's brains at baseline before they got any intervention while they showed them negative images. And they looked at what part of their brain got activated. They then randomized them to either getting that probiotic or the fake intervention, and they were blinded. They didn't know what they were getting for six weeks, and they got them to come back. And they repeated that same um, scan with the MRI of their brain. And they found those who had the probiotic group uh, probiotic intervention actually had a decrease um, in activation of their brain in the part associated with emotion, suggesting that they would be more resilient to negative emotions in everyday life um, versus those in the placebo group who didn't have that decrease. So now like we've actually been able to see the mechanisms of it. Um, so it, you know, it is a real thing, but then I think there is commercializations kind of taking it too far and, and they mixing the messages messages a little bit but i think the concept is that yes our microbes and our brain are interconnected i'm kind of sitting here with my mouth slightly open like oh my god like i love my inner science geek is just loving like <laughs> the studies <laughs> okay okay so it isn't just because it, it would be easy to dismiss, dismiss it and say oh it's all just i don't know what are the gut, what can the gut bacteria do but there is evidence to say that it makes yeah. a difference yeah. um what about sleep? Because um, in your book, you talk about how sleep can impact your gut microbes. Yeah, so there's been some really interesting studies where they've shown that even two days um, with sleep deprivation, quite severe sleep deprivation, can change the microbes in your gut, independent of diet. And what we're starting to see is that our microbes actually have their own circadian rhythm, like body clock, like humans have their own body clock. So we think by disturbing that, um, then it changes the different growth rates of the different microbes. Um, and then there's been another study that has actually given a specific type of probiotic um, or a placebo, the fake intervention, to people having sleep issues and found that those who had the probiotic actually had improvement in their sleep quality. So again, it's just highlighting how interconnected all of these different elements are. Um, and in my book, I share a sleep hygiene protocol which my colleagues from King's developed and they tested in a clinical trial and they showed um, that after the six-week intervention compared to those in the control group, which they just got told to try and improve their sleep, they actually had a significant improvement in their sleep quality by simple things like, I'm sure you know all about them, like, you know, before you go to bed or probably two hours before writing down like your worry thoughts or having a little worry diary. As soon as you get up, exposing your face to light um, to change your, your melatonin production. Um, and then a lot of just simple little strategies which together um, has been shown to have, you know, a clinically relevant imp um, improvement in your sleep, which is linked to your gut health. Yeah, it's fascinating how things are so linked together. And it can be maybe a vicious cycle for people. You don't sleep because you're stressed, and then your gut microbes are messed up, which makes you more stressed, and then you end up eating the wrong foods, and you can see how it can yeah, a vicious spiral cycle, like that. Yeah. Or at the same time, you could create a, a virtuous cycle of starting to look, look after those areas. Um, can you can you sort of explain a bit about why um, what's actually happening when 
our gut health impacts our mental health? What's actually happening in the body? Obviously, there's the gut bacteria, but how does that work? <laughs> yeah, so the exact mechanisms we're still trying to understand, but one of the, you know, my favorite studies still to date um, was undertaken by the Food and Mood Center in Australia by some of my colleagues there. And what they did is they took a group of um, people with moderate to severe depression and they randomized them to either getting this really high gut boosting diet, it was really high in dietary fiber, um, which is actually a gut bacteria's favorite food, or they got this placebo intervention, which was just a befriending type of counseling. And why they had that placebo group is just so, so important to make sure any benefits in the diet group wasn't because they were seeing the dietitian, the researcher, but actually because of the food. So both groups saw um, their respective intervention um, clinicians seven times over the 12 weeks, and they got them to come back. And they found that those in the gut-boosting diet intervention group, 32% of them actually had a significant improvement in their depression levels, which would have classified them as no longer clinically depressed. In the placebo group, there was only 8%. Now, I just think that shows how powerful diet can be. Now, just a, a disclosure there, they all stayed on the medication. So if people are listening to this on medications, don't stop them, but it can certainly be an adjunct therapy. And I, I've seen in my clinic that um, over time, if you improve your diet, along with the support of your GP or your psychiatrist, you might be able to taper down some of your antidepressants or early stage, we might actually be able to prevent it. Now, I know that was a bit of a tangent from your question, but I guess one of the mechanisms around that diet that we have hypothesized is that when the microbes uh, feed on dietary fiber, they release a range of different chemicals and one is short chain fatty acids, which we think um, can then um, pass, some of them can pass the blood brain barrier and have an impact on our mood regulation um, that way. So yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff really. Wow, gosh, that almost makes me feel a bit emotional when I think about the things that we could be doing as a society and a culture to help people with their depression, for example, and like all the needless suffering that's happening because people don't know or they're not supported to make these changes. So yeah, I'm so glad you're spreading this message. Yeah, no, it's yeah. so true. It is really upsetting. And, and you see people um, who have um, mental health issues and often they hide themselves away. They don't go out to the farmer's markets and they don't go, you know, to, um, you know, playgrounds and things like that where they're exposed to more microbes to really, I guess, support the diversity and having a diverse range of gut microbes in your gut is linked with better mental health. So it's, it is a vicious cycle that people can get into, um, for sure. Mm. And I think it's important to say it's not, if you've got mental health, you don't go, oh, it's my, my gut bacteria. It's only a piece of the puzzle, but it certainly can be very therapeutic to look after that to improve your mental health. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you've mentioned fibre. I recently um, went over to a plant-based diet. Oh, so I've been you? having probably more fibre than the yeah. average person. Um, why is fibre so important? Yeah. Feeds the gut. So the thing about fibre, I think everyone's heard that word. The media's really taken upon it recently. And that's because in the UK, we're having not enough dietary fibre. So we're having um, under 20 grams of dietary fibre a day in adults. The government guidelines suggest we should have 30 grams of fibre. In that um, trial that I mentioned about the mental health, they had 50 grams of fiber a day. Now, the amazing thing about dietary fiber is that human cells actually can't digest it. So human cells have no purpose for dietary fiber. So it goes to the lower part of our intestine where the microbes live, and that's where the fiber gets eaten by the microbes. So, you know, for forever we've thought plant-based eating 
you know, it doesn't need to be 100%, but plants are, you know, really beneficial for us. We didn't really understand why, and now we do, because in plant-based foods, the backbone of all plant-based foods is dietary fiber. It's like the cell wall lining. Um, so if you're having a, a high plant-based food diet, then you're going to have a high fiber diet, and that means you're nourishing the bacteria within you. Um, quick question. How did you go with the gut symptom scenario of switching to high fiber? Well, I've been a vegetarian my whole life. Oh, okay, right. Super rude. Like, I grew yeah. up eating bean burgers and <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing. So I think I was fine, but I understand for some people, your gut has to get used to it. Because the bacteria are the gas. We're yeah. talking about gas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the microbes, what they do is when they get the fiber, they eat it. And one of the waste products they produce is a little bit of gas. Now, that's completely fine. In fact, it's, you know, having some wind is a sign of a well-fed um, gut microbiota. So it's a good thing. Um, but for some people with more sensitive guts, they often say, oh, I can't have fiber because it triggers my symptoms. And it can trigger if they go from having very little to a whole lot, absolutely. But it's about slow, slow, gradual increases. And you think about yourself, if you're on a diet um, and you get food, you kind of binge on it and you go really crazy. Same with the microbes. If they're on a fiber, low fiber diet, they're kind of being starved and they get exposed to fiber, they'll binge on it. So it's literally slow, gradual increases. And again, in the book, I talk about the portion sizes over time to, turn, to yeah, increase your fiber and achieve that, that high amount of fiber that's really good for your body without getting those um, bothersome symptoms. This episode is made possible by Dorset Cereals. Dorset is a place where things go at a slightly slower pace. Dorset Cereals believe that pleasure comes from the simple things in life and that moments need to be savoured, especially since life is so busy. And I totally agree. This all begins at breakfast time. So instead of rushing through breakfast or skipping it all together, why not slow down and enjoy every moment? Enjoy a breakfast on the slow and you'll be taking the first steps to a better day. All their delicious mueslis are vegan and high fibre and the ultimate muesli range doesn't contain any added sugar. I personally love their luscious berry and cherry muesli, well worth getting up a bit earlier to have time to savour. So now there are even more reasons to enjoy a calm moment at breakfast with Dorset Cereals. Take a look at dorsetcereals.co.uk to explore the range and discover how to be a little more Dorset. Yes, okay, that's really good news. Yeah, and I like you've got some diagrams on there of what a portion is of each thing and how to measure that out. Um, what is 50 grams of fibre then? Is that like... What it's that, doable. Like? Yeah, it's yeah. So like in the book, I talk brown about brown flakes it. for every meal. No, no, no. Don't be silly. Because um, <laughs> dietary fiber comes from all our plant-based food groups. So whole grains are a really good source of things like oats, your quinoa, buckwheat, wheat. Um, then you got your veg, so your um, cucumbers and your avocados. Then you got your fruit, your um, apples, etc. You got your seeds, whether it's linseeds, pumpkin seeds. You've got your legumes, beans and pulses, so chickpeas, lentils, and then you have your nuts, so macadamia nuts, almond nuts, etc. So all of them actually contain the fibers, and they contain different types of fibers. So that's one important thing: is you don't just eat bran flakes. You actually get fiber from all of those different types of food groups. The six of them that I mentioned, and that's because each different type of food contains different types of fiber. We talk about fiber like it's just one thing. It's actually there's close to 100 different types of fiber. Okay. And then fiber isn't the only thing that feeds the gut bacteria. We also have these plant chemicals. Um, and the favorite ones of the microbes is called polyphenols. And there is, again, you know, hundreds of them. And then there's many other um, plant chemicals. There's thousands of them. 
which again feed different bacteria. So if we want a really diverse range of gut bacteria in our gut, which is associated with you know better overall health, then we have to feed them a diverse range of different nutrients because they're kind of fussy like humans. They all have different preferences. So that's why we should have that diversity from a wide range of, of different foods. Now, 50 grams, like I said, in my book, there is um, 50 different recipes in the back and each recipe contains at least most recipes contain at least 10 grams of fiber. Some contain 15 grams of fiber, and then there's the snacks in between. So it's actually really doable. Um, it's just about being more aware of where you're getting your fiber from. Mm, okay, okay. But things like, you know, a cup of beans, um, legumes, contains 10 grams of fiber. You know, a pear and some mixed nuts, again, that's equivalent of like eight grams of fiber. So, you know, it's actually quite easy and I don't want people to get fixated on counting their fiber. Yeah. But if they're just making sure that each meal they have, they've got plenty of different plant-based foods involved, then they're probably going to be getting their 50 grams. So lots of plants, lots of variety. Yeah. Um, but a, a point on that, people don't need to go 100% plant-based though. They've actually done studies where they've looked at the gut health of people who are omnivores, but who eat a lot of plants. Um, so they eat other things like animal products or um, they've looked at those who are 100% plant-based, so vegans. And they found that actually whether they're a vegan or omnivore didn't define whether they had good gut health. It was around that diversity piece. So those who had at least 30 different types of plant-based foods were the ones that had better gut health, whether they were the omnivores or the vegans. That's really good news. Yeah, so good you don't news. need to be, you don't know, need to pressure yourself yeah. to drastically change your diet anytime. Um, can we talk about pets? I always try and bring this podcast around to like dogs, basically. I just want to talk about dogs all day. Because um, have you I recently got you. a dog? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't think I'd become this person, but I'm obsessed. I'm it obsessed is crazy. With your dog, just seeing your dog on Instagram, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, little pistachio, yeah. So pets, there's been some good, this is how I convinced my partner <laughs> to let me get it, but no, I was joking. He was actually more keen. Oh, really? Um, in the first, particularly in the first um, few years of life, having a baby, um, them being around pets has actually lowered their risk of things like asthma and food allergies. And how we think that happens is that dogs have a range of different microbes in them and we, we totally share our microbes with our, with our, um, my, with our pups. Um, and so what that does when you've got a young child actually exposes them to a more diverse range of microbes, which then can help train their immune system and remember, the immune system, a lot of it lives in your intestine, so they're side by side, and the microbes are able to train the immune system what to react to and what not to react to. Um, so yeah, particularly in the early, early days, having a pet is actually really good for our gut health. And they've done studies in adults and shown that um, we actually share quite a lot of microbes with our pets. So even if you think you're being clean, you know, with a pet, they're all over you. Yeah, but it's not <laughs> it's like a you good have, thing. It's not like you have to let the dog lick your face, or is you, that? No, no, you don't. No, no, you don't need to get all gross or anything. Um, yeah. People don't realize that we actually have microbes all over us. So we, we've got a skin microbiota, yeah. like the gut microbiota. We've got millions of microbes on our skin. Um, you know, in our vagina, you know, all over on the different um, places, our mouth, got an oral microbiota. So we're covered in microbes. Um, so it, we even thought to have like this little um, microbial fingerprint. So we've got um, this little, what's it called? A little, um, it's kind of like a second skin, <laughs> like wherever we go, okay. we drop microbes. Oh, right. And some forensic scientists have thought that might actually be how they can in the future 
catch people who've committed criminals because, you know, otherwise we use the fingerprints, but people wear gloves these days, but they can't disguise the microbes that they've dropped. That is yeah, fascinating. I know. This is where we're heading. It's, oh my it's crazy. goodness. We love to think we're so clean, don't we? Obviously, washing our hands and anti-backing everything. But actually, it's good that there are microbes there. And actually, being a bit, having, you know, dogs salivating around and that can be healthy for us. So Absolutely. And we're yeah. actually thinking perhaps why things like food allergies um, and different other autoimmune conditions are on the rise in terms of the number of people it's affecting is because we've been too clean in our younger years. So actually letting your kids play in dirt we think is actually really good for their immune system. So, so fascinating, so fascinating. Um, I really wanted to ask you about probiotics. Is this a bit of a contentious topic because it started off with those little yogurt drinks that you could buy in the supermarket and now there are hundreds of different varieties of probiotics you can have or you can have kombucha or you can have, I don't know, other things. Yeah. What's your take on that yeah, topic? So so probiotics essentially are the good microbes um, that have shown benefit. Now, like you said, there are thousands of, of different microbes out there. And the thing with microbes, we actually need to start thinking about them like vitamins and minerals. So if you have vitamin D deficiency, you're not going to go and take an iron supplement and think that's going to fix your vitamin D deficiency. Same with the, the probiotics and the microbes. Each different time actually has different skills and does different things. So... You know, gone are the days where you say, oh, I'll just take a probiotic. It's not about that. You need to be very specific with the exact type um, that has shown a benefit in a clinical trial, as well as the dose and the duration. And, you know, here's just an example of where there's really good evidence, and that's if you have to take antibiotics for a reason. Definitely don't support antibiotics, but if you have to take it, there is good evidence to have a particular type of um, probiotic, and that's Saccharomyces boulardii. And you would take that at 5 billion um, units two times a day for the duration of your antibiotics and for a week after. See how prescriptive that is? Mm. That's actually how we need to be with probiotics. For the general population who are really healthy and fit, I wouldn't recommend that they need to take a probiotic. I'm very passionate about fermented foods, which we don't, we can't actually call a probiotic because fermented foods, they do have live microbes in them, but we're not sure if they're actually all beneficial. Um, and the definition for a probiotic is it has to be shown in you know, clinical trials to have a benefit. So I'm very pro things like kefir. I make my own kefir every day. It literally takes two minutes. It's super, super easy. We've got these amazing kombuchas here in front of us <laughs> during the podcast. Um, a little bit harder to make, but still, you know, you can make it or you can buy it. And it contains microbes in it. Um, I don't think we should say that it's you know, going to completely revolutionize your gut health, but it tastes nice. Yeah. It's better than having, you know, a sugary cider drink. Mm -hmm. um, so why not enjoy it? And then things like kimchi, sauerkraut, again, I've got recipes in the book um, that are just super, super tasty and contain live microbes. So I think it's like a win-win. I love sauerkraut. I went on a course to make it. I haven't made it myself at home, but I do know technically how to make it. <laughs> and I did have a go of making kombucha, but... I don't know if this is common. My SCOBY, and I think I think it's called a SCOBY, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, the, yeah. the bacteria and yeast yep. thing Symbiotic that you have in. colony of bacteria and yeast. So it's yes. an acronym. <laughs> um, it kind of grew and grew and grew and busted out of its container. And <laughs> it's this vinegary liquid basically went everywhere. And yeah. everything in my house smelled of vinegar for weeks. So I've been, but I need to make the kefir. It sounds like that's it's easier. It's so much easier. And that's why actually in the book, because I want it to be really practical, really easy for people who aren't, don't know a lot about gut health. So I actually purposely didn't include kombucha because it can be a little bit trickier to make. You certainly can make it. Um, 
you know, there's a few things that you need to be more sensitive of the time. So you probably over fermented, which is why it's turned to vinegar. Yeah. It's kind of like a sweet spot. Whereas the kefir, there is also the dairy version, which is the one which I guess has the most evidence for it. But there's also a water version of kefir. Um, yeah. And they are just a lot easier to control um, and you don't need to invest a lot of time. Okay, so stick to the easier one. Yeah, yeah I imagine kombucha is almost like you're brewing like beer. You kind of need yeah, well, to like, be can, on it. Yeah, yeah, you need to be very sensitive and taste it every day and check when it's ready and then quickly yeah. fr um, put it in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. And so if people are thinking about probiotics, maybe they've been on antibiotics or maybe they've, they're worried about their mental health and they think it might be linked to their gut. Should they go and speak to a dietitian and get a get a suggestion yeah in the book i do have a probiotic prescription so i've detailed i guess seven areas which has the most clinical evidence um in support for taking a probiotic and i've, I've listed the particular type of probiotic like the strain and the dose so i've made it like into a prescription um i think in the next you know couple of years there'll be even more areas um, but yeah i recommend speaking to someone who knows um, you know, which one people should be taking rather than just taking anyone off the shelf because you're probably wasting your money. Yeah, because they could definitely be expensive if you're yeah. buying the wrong one. Are there other supplements that you ever suggest to people to take? You know what, no. Mm. Um, we should be getting a lot of our nutrition, all our nutrition from food in, in my um, you know, in the ideal world, of course, people who, for whether cultural or, or different reasons, have to be or want to be on um, quite restrictive diets, whether it's, you know, 100% plant-based, people can be at slightly higher risk of nutrition deficiencies. Um, so again, in the book I list, if you are 100% plant-based, you need to be extra careful of these different um, nutrients like selenium, omega-3s, um, calcium, iron, etc., um, so you can get them through food, but some people um, struggle to do that because you need to be a little bit more alert of exactly what you're having. Um, so in some scenarios, I will recommend a supplement, but I think for the average person out there, you should be getting a nutrition from food. And there are, you know, drink companies now saying you don't need to eat. We've just got all the essential nutrients and put it in a drink. I'm not going to name any companies, <laughs> but a lot of them have done that. And actually yeah. what we found in, in trials is that an example is omega-3. So um, they found that there's a strong link between fatty fish, which is high in omega-3, and lower risk of heart disease. But when they've looked at studies with omega-3 supplements um, and heart disease, that association hasn't been as clear. So there's something in food which allows us to probably absorb it more efficiently. And the other thing about food is that there is thousands of plant chemicals which we haven't been able to manufacture um, and put into a bottle. So even though they say, you know, it's got your 23 essential um, minerals and vitamins, it might. But what about the other, you know, 1,000, 10,000 of different, we call them phytochemicals, which we think have a beneficial role in the body. It's not essential to living, but they optimize our overall health. You can't replicate that at the moment. Maybe, you know, in the future they will, but I doubt they can be as smart as Mother Nature. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was thinking mankind, we think we're... We're so smart. We yeah. think we can just, you know, put some, I don't know, supplements in a protein shake and it's going to somehow replace the amazing things yeah. that Mother Nature does, but um, it can't. So we need to go back to nature, get down to the farmer's market. And things I get, not everyone has heaps of time to make these elaborate meals. Um, and, you know, they can't always go to the farmer's markets. I've heard, I'm sure you do as well, have those weeks where you're like, I just do not have time to do any of that. And yes, the ideal world will be prioritising it. 
but you know that's not always realistic um, and again that's why in the book I certainly am not a chef I'm very much a novice cook but I've got a lot of really simple hacks of how to have a lot of plant-based um, foods that are super tasty but also super quick on the run um, and I think that's important to be practical in the end definitely definitely yeah yes totally agree um, can I ask you about IBS because this is something that I, I see a few clients for this. It used to be more, now it's more anxiety, but because of the, the link between IBS and anxiety, I still see quite a few clients for this. And I've referred quite a few of my clients to you because yeah. of, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Mm. So firstly, can you just explain what IBS is and what the symptoms are briefly? Yeah, so I guess, you know, rewind 20 or 30 years, we literally thought it was just someone with an irritable gut, like a grumpy gut. We didn't really understand it. And I think a lot of people were just told to go away. They've just got IBS. They don't have things like celiac disease or um, inflammatory bowel disease, which we call a structural disease. Um, but that has really changed in the last probably five years or so, where we now have so much research highlighting, um, I guess, the underlying mechanism of IBS. And that is this dysfunction between the gut and the brain. So everyone's gut and brain, as you know, is constantly communicating. In, in irritable bowel syndrome, that communication is dysfunctional. And that results in things like getting stomach pain, getting altered stools. Um, so the poops kind of can mix. Some people have really loose ones where they've got IBS um, diarrhea predominant, or they can be IBS um, constipation predominant, or they can be mixed. Um, and and then that with that often comes other symptoms like bloating and, and um, excess gas, etc. So... The strict, I guess, criteria for irritable bowel syndrome, so if someone's listening to this and like, oh, I think I might have it, the most important thing is you always go to your GP first and rule out things like celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and colon cancer because uh, the symptoms can very much overlap with IBS. And it's important to rule out those um, structural conditions um, because if you, if you don't have the right therapy for them and you keep thinking it's just IBS, then that could really... Um, lead to you know things like death mm. so it's really important to get on top of um, now if you have all those tests and it's all clear actually i should just really mention the celiac test if you are going to get checked for celiac disease um, by your gp you actually have to have gluten in your diet and you have to have quite a lot of gluten in the diet for at least six weeks before the test for the test to be valid so i've had a lot of clients come to me like oh no i don't have celiac disease and then I ask them what they were eating and they, they already cut out gluten, which means that the test will be invalid. Um, and then I've got them to reintroduce it. They've gotten retests and turns out they have celiac disease. Right. Um, but if that's all ruled out um, and you have stomach pain at least one day a week and the stomach pain is related to your poops in some way, whether it gets better or gets worse um, when you do poop um, and it's been a chronic thing for at least six months, and that's essentially the criteria for irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, I'm, I'm remembering a friend of mine had a celiac test, but it was torture for her to have to eat the gluten because it created these horrible symptoms. That's It's so tricky to... Yeah, yeah. and there's a, there's a genetic test that people can get which isn't definitive. It's not like, yes, you've got celiac disease, but it um, says whether you've got the genetic potential to have celiac disease, and 70% of people have that as a negative test, and if they have that negative, they go, okay, I won't worry about reintroducing it. But if then 30% that says it's positive, then they should probably reintroduce. Um, mm. And IBS, does it affect something like 20% of women? Yeah, well, we used to think it was around 20%, but 
IBS comes under this umbrella term of functional gut disorders. And I talk more about this in the book, but there's different types of functional gut disorders. And one is IBS, but there's also a lot of people I see actually don't have stomach pain, but they have things that really burden some bloating. And that's actually called functional bloating. So in the book, I talk about the different criteria and why that's important not to labelize everything, but um, it can help, I guess, target the intervention more to your personalized situation because intervention will be slightly different according to what functional gut disorder you have. So for IBS, the new statistics now that we've kind of separated out those different types is actually probably more around 5%, 5 to 10% of the population, which is still huge. Yeah. Um, but probably the other 10% might have things like functional bloating or functional constipation. But the functional gut disorders, yeah, affect around 20% of people. So basically, if people think they might have that, they need to go to their doctor as a first, first, yeah. first thing. And then... Does does your book talk about things that they can do if they... Yeah, I um, because historically, if they went to their doctor, then their doctor would be like, go away. Well, no, they don't all say go away, but you've got IBS. And unfortunately, in the NHS, there's such a long waiting period. My, my husband's actually a GP, so I'm not going to bag them out um, because they can't help it. But there's like a six-month waiting list to see a dietitian. Um, and the resources just aren't there. So... You know, I'm sure they would all love to send people to a dietitian, but it's not always accessible. And then not everyone can afford a private dietitian. I know, you know, growing up, my family certainly couldn't. So that's actually another reason why I've written, you know, one of the chapters in the book to help people with these functional gut disorders target the first line strategies, um, which work in around 50% of people. So around 50% of people can really get their symptoms completely under control with these strategies. And then if it doesn't work for them, if you're in the other 50%, then it's worth, you know, waiting for that referral and going and seeing a, you know, gut specialist, um, a dietitian. Um, so yeah, in the book, I talk about yeah, different types of approaches. And one of the key things with a lot of these, pretty much all of the approaches, it's not just focusing on food. Food is obviously one element, but with these functional gut disorders, because it is that gut brain axis, there needs to be a strategy targeting that. Um, which is where things like the gut-directed yoga flow comes in, um, and that's another element in the book where they've actually done clinical trials to show that just that independently um, of changing your diet can have a significant improvement in people with IBS and these functional gut disorders. And that's why I've often referred many of my um, patients and clients to you, Chloe, because of the study which has actually shown um, gut-targeted hypnotherapy has been equally as effective as this gold standard diet we call a low FODMAP diet, which is quite restrictive, should only be done for four to six weeks, um, and you really do need to see someone specialist to help with that. Um, so yeah, it's just quite striking to see that these symptoms can actually be improved by solely by targeting that gut-brain axis. Amazing. It's, yeah, such a interesting topic, and I really like that in the book you have different yoga moves in there and, you know, talking about how to calm your mind and really a holistic approach as well as recipes and scientific information. Yeah, and I've got experts on board to help me with the different sections because, you know, it is an interdisciplinary approach that we need mm. to take on our bodies. It's not just one person being the know-it-all. There's all other elements that need to come into play and, and working together. Um, and, uh, yeah, seeing our body as a whole, which it is, and the fact that parts that are very distantly located actually do communicate. It just reinforces why we need to view us as that whole. Yeah, yeah. Who would you say your book is for?
Is it for anyone? Because we yeah. all have a gut. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's anyone who wants to improve their overall health and happiness. I, at the start of the book, actually have these 10 different questions, which um, gives people a bit of a taster of whether the book is for them, how, you know, whether they need to improve their gut health. And one element obviously is yes, if you have gut symptoms, there's a chapter in the book that's going to really, really help um, make small tweaks to improve them. But then other things like the mental health aspect, you know, are you always getting sick? So the immunity aspect, um, the stress aspect, because uh, remember the gut brain is bi-directional, um, sleep aspect, you know, are you restricting foods because you think you have a food intolerance? Um, are you on different medications? Do you have family history of conditions and all that sort of stuff? So from those 10 questions, I hope people get a feel that actually looking after their gut does relate to pretty much everyone. Um, and it's not just people with symptoms. Yes. And I can't wait for people to read this and to make changes. And it's going to be such a big help to people. So congratulations. Um, where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, so just across social media at the gut health doctor or I've got a website, so at the gut, no, not at, it's just www.theguthealthdoctor.com. Amazing. And Eat Yourself Healthy is in all bookshops. It is indeed. Amazing. Thank you so much for speaking to me. It's so, so interesting. It's been a pleasure and thanks for the kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. What are you taking away from this? What have you learned? Come on over to Instagram, find me at Chloe Brotheridge and let me know what you're taking away from it. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could take two minutes out of your day to leave me a review in the podcast app on your iPhone or in iTunes and give me a little rating. And do you have a friend who would really benefit from this podcast? please do share it with them. Send them a screen grab, share it on social media, send them a WhatsApp telling them about it and let's spread the word about this free resource. So thank you so much for listening, sending you loads of love wherever you are, hoping you have a brilliant week and hopefully you'll tune in again soon. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.